When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everybody, this is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Welcome along. It's the final Cricket Badger podcast of 2021, which has been a, a mixed year, I think it's fair to say, off the pitch and on the pitch. and been some fantastic highlights and obviously COVID bubbling underneath, literally bubbling underneath cricket as we've gone through the year. I'm joined by Mark, Rito, Phil and Neil. We're going to take a look back at the last 12 months, pick out our favourite moments of the calendar year. Maybe somewhere we'll say what our worst moments are, but I've primed the uh, guests today the fan badges today to uh, bring to the table their favorite moments i've just had a bit of a chat with them before we went live because i was a bit concerned they might all bring something well bring exactly the same thing to the podcast it might be a very short podcast but they've all got very different takes i think on the way this year has been um let's start with you mark your first nomination your your favorite moment of 2021 um, I think my favourite moment of 2021 was the Lord's Test match between England and India in the summer. I just felt it was a great game, um, generally speaking. And I think the last day had everything. Um, England went into that last day, you know, seriously on top and good chance of winning. And that last morning was amazing. It kind of showed how far India had come in terms of their mental approach to the game and um you know it showed us a lot of showed us also a lot of the issues with English cricket and Joe Root's captaincy and then I felt on the last afternoon that was amazing I mean you know Cole is captaincy the intensity of the Indian players and it encapsulated that last day everything that's so good about test match cricket because nobody really would have predicted I mean, you could have predicted a little bit, but nobody would have predicted what had happened, what would happen on that last day. The idea of Boomer and and uh, Siraj getting the runs, the kind of craziness of England's bowling, uh, the lack of control of Root, and then sixty overs on a on a what was a flat wicket to bowl England out, and you know, a magnificent bowling oh, from Boomer, um, you know, some superb captaincy from uh, Kohli. So it really summed up India to me. Then India are the best side in the world. Showed some of the new India, if you like, you know, real mental toughness, wouldn't be bullied, um, and just um, I just thought it was a great game of cricket. And Raul's century in the first innings on, and it was quite a spicy pitch. I thought that was an excellent century in the first innings as well. So for me, that's my favourite game of the year. Bring bring Neil in um, to support that because Neil, you're our only Indian fan on the podcast today. The um, the memory from that test match for me was Virat Kohli gathering the team together prior to that final innings and basically not reading the, reading the, the right act, but showing how how in charge of that team he was. You know, I don't want you to switch off. I want every ball to matter. He gave them a real a real talking to, and it 
but it bore dividends, didn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Coley's captaincy has gone from strength to strength while his batting returns have diminished. Um, maybe he's turning into an Indian Mike Brearley. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I saw somebody say the other day because we were talking about potential England captains to pl- replace Joe Root if he goes and they said maybe they should go down the Indian model and, and pick a, a specialist captain that doesn't get any runs <laughs> um, well, I, I, I certainly wouldn't go down the Indian model of uh, picking captains uh, considering what's happened over the last month um, every, every time we seem to be getting a, a really strong foothold and uh, stable base, then uh, the politics of the BCCI <laughs> tend to trip us up. But yeah, on that day, um, he was absolutely brilliant. And in stark contrast to um, to Joe Root's captaincy in the second half of that, that first session, um, because when Pants went, it was around 190 for six. Um, I think yeah. Sharma had a bit of a slash but we probably only added another 10 and then see this kind of confused me at the time and even more so considering the ashes so far it took real offense to sir jimmy anderson lord anderson baron anderson um getting bounced which cummins and stark did last ashes tour and have been doing this ashes tour with uh nowhere near the same reaction now i don't know if it was roots leading that short ball barrage against, you know, our sale is well, not there was known a, was it a 10, ball, 10 ball, 11 ball over because he kept overstepping at the same time, didn't he? That, that, was, that was all part of the cocktail, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Although, you know, trying to get out um, the other player when Root was at one end batting absolutely out of his skin and adding the Lord's slope um, there uh, and... You know, possibly the emotion in. Uh, I don't think it was deliberate attempt to um, uh, to hurt Jimmy. It's just we've seen that he doesn't handle the short ball uh, very well. But well, he's, he's a number eleven batsman, isn't he? He makes his he makes his living by taking wickets. Um, let's move on because we've got a, we've got a load to get through today. Twenty twenty one has been a long year, and it's been a lot that's happened. We'll come to Rito in just a second for his first nomination for best moment. But I put out on Twitter this morning um, people to. Um, nominate their best and worst moments. David has said, best of the year, Ryan Patel's 131 for Surrey against Knotts at Guildford, his worst of the year. The 100 franchises are a disaster for the fabric of cricket in this country. So uh, he's basically seen the 100 as being the worst of the year. Rito, let's come to you. We're going to try and get more positivity than negativity in this podcast. What's your best moment of 2021? Yeah, not uh, one of my best moments of 2021 would be Stendis chasing down three... 90 plus in Chattogram earlier in the year with Kyle Mears hitting 210. It was a flat wicket in Chittagong, but still chasing 390-odd in the fourth innings of a test is never easy. And West Indies pulled off, although it was a disappointing year for them in T20s, but in test match wicket, they went on okay. Uh, and Mayers Rito, he became a, almost like an overnight sensation, didn't he, with that innings? Because I don't think too many people around the world had heard too much about him prior to that knock. And all of a sudden, he's front page news. Yeah, it was almost a chanceless innings from Carl Mayers and a lot of great things are expected from him. A lot of people are looking down at him to stabilise that West Indian middle order and only time will tell whether that was one-off innings or he's really of the, made of that calibre or not. 
Phil, um, West Indies Test Match Cricket has gone through the mill a little bit. There's a lot of talk at the moment about the wealth of the world being maybe more fairly distributed. Um, but for, for some of us of a certain age who are, grew up watching the West Indies great teams, I've heard a few West Indian supporters say it's a little bit patronising when we say this, but it, it is good for world cricket when West Indies are strong, isn't it? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you talk about that team uh, that... To the eighties, eighties, um, and uh, well, I suppose it was the eighties. Was was just so phenom- just so phenomenally good. It would, in my opinion, beat any other team <coughs> from any other era. It, it was supreme, and, and that's the the difficulty that subsequent generations have to deal with is trying to compete. It, I mean, it's just it's impossible. But in terms of that team and what it went and did around the world, everywhere. It was competitive everywhere. We don't have a team like that now. Even the best teams at the moment are still struggling away from home. Um, I, I think, well, probably India are the best at going abroad and competing. But generally, it feels like home teams have such an advantage now. But a, a strong West Indies team based on that legacy, I, I personally would love to see. I'd love to see it because not only was it just so dominant, so aggressive, it was there was just such swagger to it as well. Watching Malcolm Marshall, you know, just almost jogging in but at lightning speed with his chains going everywhere and generating speed with his arm and you know Richie Richardson's square cut is something that will live with me forever it's just and that's not even getting on to Viv so it's it's um for me strong West Indies team is even if you can get close you know in the same ballpark as that one would be fantastic for the game because of the it seems to be the natural swagger to their game it's just brilliant to watch and in and in this this age of T20 and television and 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 just general entertainment a West Indies team with that ethos would be uh, would be a gold mine yeah absolutely and i i mean i think a lot of the the players of that era have got quite firm opinions on where they want to see West Indies cricket go and I mean, there's a danger with harking back to yesteryear, but there's some good names that had massive success in that team that I think are underutilised in taking the West Indies team forwards. And I saw Desi Haynes actually on LinkedIn. He did a a 10-point plan or something about how to make West Indies cricket great again and hardly made a ripple. You know, he, he knows a lot about cricket. Badges are furry creatures. 85% of women badges think bad grooming is a major turn-off. 80% of women badges think men should trim below the belt. 89% of men think good grooming is essential to the professional success. Don't just dismiss it out of hand. Get on there, manscaped.com. Check out their great range of male grooming accessories. Hygiene, appearance, attractiveness, confidence. Simply go to manscaped.com, quote the discount code BADGER. You get 20% off, you get free shipping, and you get some seriously quality equipment. Manscaped.com, together we save balls. Neil, let's come to you. Your your favourite moment, your first nomination for your favourite moment of 2021. Well, the moment would be um, Rushab Pant hitting that four, um, getting towards the dusk at, at the Gabba. But really, the whole the whole series, um, I would put that in. I'd say my top three series that I've ever seen, just as a whole, because while they there are some flaws uh, in the Australian team, that is possibly an all time great bowling attack. 
um, with one all-time great batter, one guy who is one of the best ever in Australian conditions and Warner, and an up-and-comer with Labuschagne. And then just the number of people um, and the experience that dropped out of that team throughout the whole series and the fight that uh, they showed and also the the depth that, of uh, of Indian cricket where people were coming coming out of uh, out of nowhere being net bowlers and I think there were about 10 wickets between our bowling attack before the Gabba test Washington Sundar had last played a, a red ball game about three years previously and came through with four wickets and hundred odd runs hitting Cummins for a six uh, towards the end. Um, that that series is uh, up there with India, Australia back in 2017 and the ashes in 2005 for me. Um, it's just absolutely everything. It made me seriously proud to be an India fan. Mark, from an English perspective, that was seen as the blueprint for this Ashes series, wasn't it? India, if India can go there with a B team, then this is what England need to do with an A team. It's not really quite followed, has it? No, and I think we can go through the post-mortems whatever in a day. But I think India's B and C team is probably better than England's A team at the moment. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that, that was actually one of my favourite moments as well, which Neil picked on there, that test match in Brisbane, which I watched quite a lot of. It was an amazing test match and um, really just to come back having, having been bowled out for 30-odd and what have you and to come back with, you know, as Neil said, with the resources they had. Um, shows it again, the kind of, the different India now, the kind of mental toughness that India have that they won't be bullied away from home. And also it shows you the variety in their attacks and their players, which is second to none now. Um, to a certain degree, we talked about it the other day, you know, they've got over a billion people in India. So if they marshal their resources appropriately, they should be coming up with fast bowlers and spinners and what have you. And now they seem to have got it together. And it's a kind of scary kind of place to be if you're another side in the world at the moment. Because if you get it right, they could dominate for a long time. Rito, with with India, it kind of seems as well that, you know, in, in, just in general in sports, success breeds success. People see their heroes doing what they're doing and they want to play cricket. And in India, you don't really need too much encouragement to be a cricket fan, do you, anyway? So, you know, if you've got a successful Indian side, surely this just gets stronger and stronger, doesn't it? One thing it has done, that it has gone the youth back into Test Match cricket once again. Even the last Test Match in Centurion, it was South Africa's fortress over there and they have the Indian team have reached it recently more recently people used to just talk about t20s and 50 overs but now again people are getting up at 5 30 over here in india to watch a test match series in australia so that's what a success for this indian team has done philip west was on twitter earlier he says his best moments of 2021 the end of the gimmicky tacky Beep show that was the hundred. Uh, there's not a lot of love out there on my Twitter feed for the hundred. So the end of that competition was his highlight. Um, the worst moment, the very second that England touched down in Australia ahead of the Ashes. So Philip's got a very positive, rosy look on 2021. Phil, another Phil, and um, we'll come to you now. Um, a nomination for you for your favourite moment of uh, of the year. My favourite. Well, we discussed already how off off camera how my favourite moments are more thematic than than instance. But while we're on the issue of matches i think pakistan india in the t20 world cup the performance of pakistan and just their general performance throughout the the world cup the charm that they brought to the game this was everything that was great about pakistani cricket and when they're at their best they're a team everybody loves 
to watch when they're at their worst. Uh, it's head in your hands time. It's implosion time. But this was this was just. I loved this game. I loved their performance. Um, their opener is name I've forgotten. His his knock the um, the grace with which the Indians took it. The 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 relationship between the players on and off the pitch. It was why everybody wants to see these two countries play more often. It was um, a glimpse into how competitive those games can be because we know, obviously India um, underperformed on the day, but we know what they're capable of. What that game showed was that Pakistan could compete with them and it showed that if they were playing more often, we would have more bums on seats, we would have crackerjack television, we would have arguments, but we would have two teams that generally respect each other, can compete in a, a politically difficult situation with respect and can be the example that we, you know, can set to our politicians uh, as to how to conduct yourselves in a competitive but respectful environment. It was it was everything you want cricket to be as a Pakistani or a neutral, perhaps not, not so much for an Indian, but I thought it was definitely, it's definitely um, one of my top three moments of the year. Neil, if we get on to Indo... Pakistani relations politically uh, we could do a probably a series of 20 podcasts and still not scrape the surface could we but it's such a shame isn't it that these two countries don't play each other more often as soon as I mention on Twitter that it'd be great to see Pakistani players in the IPL I get slaughtered we don't want them anywhere near this and there's not a lot of love coming the other way either it's such a shame isn't it it's the way the world unfortunately now across our country across India as well the US um, everywhere, everywhere is has become so polarised and nationalistic, and that's certainly true um, in India. Now there are yeah huge amounts of underlying reasons on both sides that there's enmity, but between the cricketers, it's absolute box office. Um, one of my favourite duels, which maybe not a lot of people will have seen, uh, Rito might have, is um, ahead of the. 2016 T20 World Cup, um, the Asia Cup was made uh, T20 and there was an absolute dirt pitch um, rolled out for India versus Pakistan. I think we rolled them for about 80. Uh, and then Mohammed Amir came in absolutely steaming, uh, hooping it around corners. Um, and I think Virat made a 49 uh, before getting out right at the end, having shepherded that. But the duel between those two um, over a large number of games, again in that World Cup, um, and then Amir did it at the Champions Trophy final, um, has been one of the great things to watch. And I, I, I feel very sad that I've got to see it on a more regular basis and across formats, because it does seem that we have to wait for a World Cup, which are coming thick and fast. But um, to see those two teams play each other um, with the passion, but also the mutual respect there um, is uh, is absolutely amazing. And actually, Shaheen Afridi's opening spell in that match was one of my moments of the year because that lad is, I mean, he's, I, I'd put him just below Cummins and Bumrah as the best bowler in uh in the world, when, when, uh, when he when he clicks, he's unplay. You know, he's unplayable. Some of those, ball, you know, new ball bowling, swinging into the right hander, very very hard to play. Those, isn't it? I just just while we're on that subject of um, India against Pakistan, I mean, we we've had conversations in our WhatsApp groups about uh, and on, and on Twitter about um, the supposed. I mean, I'm going to put it in the inverted commas, the arrogance of England and Australia bigging up the Ashes as being the the only thing that matters, and kind of talking about 
England India series as being preparation for the Ashes almost and maybe a, a slight disrespect. I find that quite a difficult conversation to have at times because as a youngster growing up in England with aspirations to play for England, which were never realistic, um, the Ashes is always something which is special. It's not, I, I don't see that as an arrogance, Neil. I, I don't think it means that we, we see test matches against any other country in any lesser context it's just that for an english person or an uh, an australian person the ashes is just a step up or or has is the cherry on top of test match cricket i i think if india played pakistan regularly in test match cricket you'd be saying the same things about that series i think that may have been true when there wasn't an overall system where it was just a load of bilaterals um India versus Pakistan and um, England versus Australia, uh, to use a football analogy, um, they're derby matches. They're hugely passionate. The fans care massively about beating the other team. However, they shouldn't supersede the league. And I think it's to the detriment of uh, of both sides. Um, Australia less so, because I I don't think they see it quite as much. um, That... All the resources, especially under Silverwood uh, over the last two years, have been geared towards winning a single bilateral series rather than becoming number one test team in the world. And I think Neil, overall, if you're going to do that, and you're going to you're going to publicly say almost that these are warm-up games for the Ashes, you've got to then deliver the Ashes. Otherwise, it all looks a complete mess. You are listening to the Cricket Badger Podcast. Mark, as an Englishman, I personally would prefer to win the Ashes at the moment than the World Test Championship. Would you be the same? Um, Yeah, probably. I mean, the World Test Championship to me is a messy competition. Uh, So I'd prefer to win the Ashes. But I think going back to your other question, James, about the Ashes being the pinnacle and all the rest of it, I'm not quite as um, effusive of that, that point of view. I think it's quite, I think you've got to play what's in front of you. You know, and England had the opportunity to play India in the summer and in the winter. You are the best side in the world. And really, you know, you shouldn't be saying everything's being planned for two years hence in sport because sport is so unpredictable. You can't say what's going to happen. And obviously in these COVID times as well, it made it even more ridiculous saying we're planning two years for for, for, um, for Australia. And actually, you know, in England... It kind of takes away a bit of the focus of what they're supposed to be doing. They're supposed to be winning every game they play. So it almost play. It, it almost feels, Phil, bring you in on this about the, the Ashes. It almost feels, Phil, that after this series is finished, and it's basically finished already, hasn't it? There's two matches mm-hmm. to play, but they're, they're dead rubbers. That England are already making noises. We're talking about systemic change to domestic cricket and stuff like that. But it's still with the Ashes in four years' time, going down under in four years' time is almost like the focus now, isn't it, rather than what's happening in the summer to come? Yeah. I'd, you talk about winning the World Test Series or or the Ashes. I, I'd like to just win a session at the minute <laughs> because it's... Well, test matches a pipe dream, Mark, at the minute. Yeah, it's the, the same old cycle, recycled arguments that we've been going through for years and years it needs someone to get hold of it and perform a really robust review of what's going on because you know we've been through this reform the county championship that's how we ended up with two divisions we and we will we'll go through it again and again and and um I, I think the 
they've got to get down to the fundamentals, which are the pitches we're playing on and the type of player we're trying to produce. It's yeah, I, I think we we get too caught up in formats and relegation, uh, etc. We we need to be bringing players up with a focus on the longer form of the game. In, in but that, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be four days or you know two divisions, three divisions, whatever it is. There needs to be proper pitches that encourages players to play with a proper technique. Rita, you're a uh, an England fan in India. Would you prefer to see England win the Ashes or the World Test Championship? Yeah, at the moment, the World Championship is really in its budding moments, so it's hard to say. The Ashes has got to be the pinnacle of beating Australia down in Australia. All those Australia in front of all those Australians, it must be the pinnacle. Getting back to the messages we've had, um, SS ninety eight. He's been so keen to get this across that uh, he's sent this message in three times. Um, but the best moments for him, Indian fan, I, I imagine, from this message. Win at the Gabba, win at Lords and Centurion, the worst moment T20 World Cup group stage exit. So uh, they are SS98's memories of 2021. Harry Marsland on Twitter has said his best moment. He hasn't actually got a worst moment. Harry's just a, a glasses half full kind of uh, correspondent. Marvellous Friday the 13th at August at Lords. Jimmy... The Goat takes a Pfeiffer, Pant plays a cameo, Burns and Root bat well, saw the incredible Bumra bowl, and it was just lovely to be there. A happy day in a happy place. So there, that's Harry's rosy memory of 2021. Let's go round again. Mark, let's get to your second one. Well, let's concentrate on a positive for England, because all we've been doing is kind of, you know, on a downer for him for a long time. One of my, one of my kind of... Um, they, well, one of my favourite moments for England for this year was the match in Chennai earlier this year when Joe Root hit a mad, mad, I can't say the word, a magnificent double centre. You know, okay, the pitch wasn't turning as much as normal England India pitches turned, but it was still a magnificent, it was still a magnificent knock against a very good attack. And uh, England in that game looked a unit. You know, they played well. Jimmy Anderson bowled superbly in the second innings. Got those three, got the three, three wickets in a. I remember if it was one over or two overs, but it was a magnificent spell. And I felt, you know, that proved that, okay, not everyone contributed, but it was a it was a test match where England could take a lot of pride from. And I thought it was a, a, a very good performance. And I, I think we need to also recognise the year that Joe Root has had. And that double century, Chennai, I think kind of epitomises uh, Root at his best. And, it's, uh, ama- it's amazing what a difference eight or nine months can make, Mark, doesn't it? Because England came into that series after beating Sri Lanka, Root getting loads of runs, went to that first test match against India, won it, Joe Root got, again, loads of runs. But it, it, it kind of, three wins on the bounce at the start of the year, but it kind of was a bit of a precursor as to what was around the corner because when Root didn't get loads of runs, there wasn't anybody else to get the runs, was there? There wasn't anybody else to get the runs, and then we had the chaos in India. India had the rest and rotation of Ali being there all the time, and then playing a test match, and then it all kind of started unraveling, didn't it, throughout the year? So yeah, but I think in terms of a highlight for England this year, that would have to be the biggest highlight, regardless of when. You, I mean, Sri Lanka were a poor side, which England would be, uh, in particular in the first test match, but I think I could. Don Best got five wickets. I think mean, I could have got five wickets away the batting. You're determined to come out of retirement here, right? No, I mean that. I mean that first Test match in Sri Lanka, it, it was ridiculous. The Chennai Test match was England's highlight of the year, and it encapsulated everything that was was about. And afterwards, it just disintegrated into the kind of rest and rotation chaos 
that just led to the team spirit disintegrating, poor management, got rid of Ed Smith, decided Silverwood going to be the chief selector, you know, and then we've gone downhill since then. But, you know, as a highlight for me, for England, that was it at the beginning of the year. Jonathan Merrick says his best memory of 2021, simply being back at packed stadiums watching England cricket as the atmosphere was electric after the COVID um, absence. He was desperate to get back into the stadium and enjoyed that. His worst moment of 2021, having to watch the uh, aforementioned England side and bat in the same test matches like at Edgebaston against New Zealand. So it's always bittersweet if you're English at the, in 2021, isn't it? It's the good memories and that kind of not too far behind are the, uh, the bad memories as well. Rito, let's get to you, your second favourite moment of 2021. So I'm staying with the West Indies. And again, this time it's Pakistan versus West Indies and the West Indies when West Indies chased down 160 odd with one wicket in hand. So it was a low scoring match. And not a single team scored in excess of excess of 253. And West Indies were 148 for nine something odd with some 20, 17 runs left. And Kimar Roach and company got them in the end. And West Indies won that test match. Are you trying to get a job as the PR manager for the West Indies Cricket Board, Rito? <laughs> is that post vacant? Probably <laughs> <laughs> well, is actually in the West Indies. The post come vacant all the time. Can I can I slip one of mine in as well before we, we go any further? Because a lot of my year has been taken up with the, the racism in Yorkshire um, stuff. And um, I know Azim's had a lot of pelters um, because of he never painted himself as being the perfect individual and nobody is a perfect individual. I felt one of my highlights and proudest moments of 2021 was watching him in front of the DCMS committee, just a normal guy from Barsley sitting there in a very high-octane kind of environment, fielding questions from the MPs and acting with a huge amount of dignity and courage and digging his heels in for three years to try and actually make something happen. There's been a lot of criticism of him saying he was only after the cash. I can look you in the eyes, everybody, and say that having spoken to him pretty much every day for 18 months, the cash was never a motive. It was purely driven by a sense of injustice, a sense of being let down and a, a wish to try and make Yorkshire cricket better. And I think as in watching him on that stand or in that chair, doing what he did that day, huge amount of pride there, Neil. I know you were impressed with him that day as well. And I think hopefully, fingers crossed, as with England, you know, when things get horrible and the wheels come off, it's an opportunity to put them back on tighter, isn't it? And hopefully with... Um, racism in cricket, the fact that Azim and then people that have had the courage off the back of what he did to come forward as well can maybe blow this open so we can actually be better as, as a cricket society and a cricket world in the future. I wasn't sure how to bring that in because it was both one of the most harrowing things that I've seen in cricket. It was the best and worst, year. really, wasn't it? It's the best and worst. Yeah. The fact that he actually got the chance to say his piece, having fought uh, so long through all the appropriate channels and just been roundly ignored. But he finally was able to go out there and speak about it. And it's only after it gets all out in the open that you can actually um, start to make changes, start to get some some resolution for him and you know the myriad of other players who've had to suffer um, over the last however many decades. Um, and, we, you know, we've already started to see, slowly but surely, 
little bits of changes. Uh, the way that uh, was Essex dealt quickly and strongly with comments made uh, by their chairman, uh, I believe it was, or their CEO a few years ago. And there were comments which, you know, when I read them, I was disgusted, but they st- struck me a bit like uh, when Big Ron said the wrong thing uh, on commentary a few few years ago. That didn't seem malicious, but it was um, just it just showed how ingrained uh, certain, even softer uh, parts of racism had become um, at that time. Um, but the way they dealt with it was great. Um, what Lord Patel has done since he's come to to Yorkshire, um, what Darren Guff has done, setting up a partnership with the Lahore Calanders, I, I believe it is. Yeah. Um, I think Surrey also have um, been open to criticism of their, their past behaviour and have uh, tried to start to make make good. And the only thing that I haven't hold, uh, really heard much about is the ECB with what happened with um, Ishmael Dawood and, uh, and John Holder. Uh, that really didn't um, didn't strike the right, right chord. But Tom Harrison, I have very, very little time for him. But I actually do believe him when... Uh, when he speaks about wanting to make things right and open this uh, open up cricket to the wider communities, uh, in this case, the ethnic minorities, but also we've had uh, some discussions about the class um, divide within cricket and you know the um, the cost of personal investment to get involved as a, a child is uh, pretty high. You know, I was lucky to uh, go to a school where cricket was played to a, a serious level, but Huge amounts of people around my area, if they weren't involved in local clubs, uh, weren't. Hopefully we can get somewhere there. But the fact that there's actual acknowledgement of uh, these problems now gives us um, a pathway to start to make things right. And that will make things better for everyone involved, either as a spectator or a participant uh, in the years going forward. As you know, I kind of spoke to Azim regularly after he came on the podcast knew him from his time at Yorkshire and all he ever wanted to do was to get heard and, and to be listened to um, rather than just ignored by the club. And that day in front of the DCMS was his kind of day where he could be heard by everybody. And I think it made a massive impact. And I think as we go into 2022, yeah, we, it's, it's naive to think that things are going to be solved overnight. And you know, in the same way with English test cricket, you're not going to solve it overnight. It might take, several years might take several years decades even for the race situation to actually level itself out but at least if we move forward with that element of respect and trying to actually do the right thing and people just wanting to learn and talk to other people and, and be better then that's a start and Azim I think has given us that that chance to to do that in cricket and uh, yeah kudos to him and if you watch your mate happy new year to you as well hope your 2022 is a very very happy one where you can leave all of that behind and actually start to enjoy your life again let's move forward neil your next moment in the uh of, to savor from 2021 um it's not a moment it's a person rishab pant through this year has just been an absolute breath of fresh air especially in the um uh, in the test arena, um, his knocks um, in Sydney uh, and then the Gabba, um, his century against England 
in India, his keeping in England, which is notoriously the hardest place uh, to to be a wicket keeper. Um, even his uh, his knocking Centurion in the second innings, um, he's been derided because he um, has been a a prodigy um, and first came to our consciousness for anyone who doesn't really watch the uh, under-19s World Cup. We've known him initially uh, through playing for Delhi. Um, I, I, and... I can remember, Neil, there's a picture of Rishabh Pant with a another um, at the under-19 World Cup. Would that have been pretty sure, or was that somebody else that he came through that tournament with? No, he was he was the um, the year before. Um, pretty sure played with Shubman Gill when we won in New Zealand. That under-19 World Cup, it was Pant and somebody else that were the stars. For Might be Washington. Cup. Yeah, uh, okay. what... Washington batted uh, batted four, um, which uh, <laughs> I mean, his batting is another highlight for everyone who's just known him as a power play spinner in uh, in the IPL. Suddenly he was uh, coming off and scoring sixty against Australia, hitting Cummins for a six, getting ninety odd against uh, he plays England. Really nicely as well, doesn't he? Plays straight, oh, and plays properly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Pant has been derided, especially by the. Uh, Indian uh, cricket Twitter as a uh, a guy who's got no discipline, who's going for big shots all the time. But he's he's a lot more calculated than that. You know, when he goes for big shots, um, it's generally because there's a lot more lot more risk in trying to defend, like he did against Jack Leach in um, in Chennai. I that <laughs> that ball was. Um, was ragging out the footmarks, so it was lots uh, safer for him to give it a smash um, than it was uh, uh, for him to try to defend and nick off to uh, uh, to Ben Stokes in, in the slips. It's calculated um, risk, isn't it? He's, he's, he yeah. he takes his risks in a far more calculated manner and therefore a more effective manner than others who try to imitate him. Absolutely, um, and. I think uh, in the ODI team as well, um, he's uh, he's come through really well. I think it might have been just might have been December 2020 when he was out in Australia. He's been uh, playing those more calculated but still destructive innings there, and his captaincy for Delhi has been good. I honestly think that uh, he could be uh, the next captain for India, considering the age of the. Uh, the main protagonists. Um, I, I, I wonder if they line. might take. I wonder if they might take a gamble this time and actually give it to him. But it was maybe just a little bit too early for him, isn't it? I think Coley's still got a huge amount of credit, especially in the Test arena. I, in the ODI arena, he does as well. But obviously, there are politics there. Um, but yeah, he he's been a regular now in the Test team for a couple of years, um, and he's uh, and he's really starting to make his mark. I, I think he he might be the next cab off the rank because um, don't forget Rowett's not three years older than Virat so uh, any change uh, in that direction and he's only established himself as an opener I, in the last year 
Just to underline how strong India are at the minute, Shreyas Iyer, who was a player I really like, comes into the test team, scores a century, and isn't playing now, is he? He's, uh, yeah, there's, the, you know, England are struggling to find more than one quality batsman. India have them queuing around the block, don't they? Which is quite, quite distressing from my point of view. Um, seven eight six on Twitter says best moment for him: Pakistan thrashing India by ten wickets. So we mentioned that one already on the pod. And <laughs> um, worst moment: all the stupid hype about the franchise circus. Um, the Asian existentialist on Twitter says, Hasib Hamid back in the test team, his best moment. Hasib Hamid back in the test team, his worst moment. Yeah, I think he's a big fan of Hasib and he wants him to succeed. Rory Stewart um, says, best moment, Roots double century in India. His worst moment, the bloody ashes, obviously. And Andrew says, best moment for him, Warwickshire's um, Will Rose leading his team to county championship victory. Um, and the worst moment, England's second innings in the Boxing Day test match in the Ashes. Um, let's move on to Phil, your next moment, your next nomination for a best moment of 2021. I'm, I'm going to go for something reasonably controversial and then qualify it. And I'm going to go for the 100. But I'm going to go for the 100. Yeah, there you go, Mark. But the women's side of it. I don't think the format is the issue and it's the franchising, which I don't think has such a devastating effect in the in the women's side of the game. And what, what I saw this year, apart from high-quality matches that were just as entertaining as anything else I watched, was the impact um, around the cricket clubs. Um, I saw um, middle-aged men in hushed tones whispering to each other, I, I, quite, I quite like that women's game yesterday. And, and talking about the players and the and the impact on my girls who at the beginning of the year um, had been given a stark choice about whether to play football or cricket and had rather to my chagrin picked football. Um, when that season went sideways, the cricket picked up and now they're fully back into it playing um, and, you know, <clears throat> and, and everything is cricket at the moment, even now, even their internets, they're charging along. And part of that, not not all of it, but part of that, was watching people that they can aspire to um, having a highly um, stylish and effective and competitive uh, game that they can play into. So I think the women's hundred was one of the success stories of the year and put women's cricket firmly back on the map. As, as a massive opponent of the 100, I could not agree more with you. I thought the women's game made massive strides forwards off the back of the 100. My only concern, Phil, is that I don't think the men's 100 is a positive at all. Does the women's 100 rely on the men's 100? Because if you take the men's 100 away, does that still get terrestrial television, the women's game? Is it big enough to actually stand alone? It's difficult to see. It's difficult to see, isn't it? I, 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 I wonder if the solution is not to throw the format away, but maybe to make it an 18-county competition. Um, I don't know. I, don't, I, I think we don't want to lose the the benefits that definitely have come with it in terms of, of the women's game. And, the, you know, there are bound to have been some benefits for the men's game in terms of you know, making cricket something that we were watching on terrestrial TV. There are benefits to what's happened this summer. Um, but, yes, it would. it may well be that the men's 100 is the evil twin of um, of the women's game. Let's um, go round and just do a worst moment, the worst thing of 2021, um, everybody. I mean, I'll, mine, is, mine is the 100. Sorry, it is the 100. Um, 
couldn't stand the competition, didn't want the competition, we don't need the competition, it should have been T20, blah, 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 blah. We've talked about that loads and loads of times on the on the podcast, so I'll finish that there. Mark, what about you, the worst moment of 2021? Well, undoubtedly, it has to be the disintegration of England in Australia, doesn't it? Um, I think you could see it coming. I think we talked I talk previously in the podcast about England not playing who they're facing and all this nonsense about planning and this, that and the other. And I think the three test matches have been just been utterly shambolic right the way from Brisbane when they didn't pick either Anderson or Broad. I know you said James did the right thing in batting that. And obviously the logic in batting on a green seeming wicket in Brisbane. You should be bold and you should play Broad and Anderson. And then we got, you know, the second and third. The, I mean, the third test while I was out in Egypt watching it on the iPad. I mean, that was just getting bowled out for 60-odd. Well, at least, at least you were sitting in the sunshine on the sun lounge watching sunshine. it. I was getting up at five o'clock in the morning to watch it. And it was just, I mean, the whole thing is just reminded me that when we, they got all these central contracts, as we said before, they got 60-odd people there supporting them. It reminds me of the shambolic tours of the early 90s and stuff, when they didn't have any support. It's just utterly shambolic. Yeah, uh, I, I've, I've said before on here, I'd, I'd listened to the Agnew um, thing on, on BBC about talking about all the preparation that England had made. And there were some very well-intentioned, I think there's a lot of good work probably been done in, in the run-up to the Ashes, but it's, it's very sad for some of those people that have probably done the right work that it's actually I mean, not pulling any dividends, isn't it? One thing I would say, I don't like, um, I don't like while Silver's still in a job, you know, people talking to Kirsten, particularly when the guy's in self-isolation in Melbourne. I think that's a bit out of order, people talking Kirsten up. And Are, are you um, are you critical of the journalist who asked the question or the Kirsten actually answering it? Uh, I'm, just, I'm critical of anybody who approaches somebody who's touting anyone for a job where somebody's in it, particularly where they're having a bad time and particularly where they're stuck in a hotel in Melbourne on their own. I just think it's out of order, um, regardless of the rights and wrongs of Silverwood being in a job. Fundamentally, you've got to show the man some respect and he's actually still in possession of the job. I, I'd, I'd be critical of the journalist in a, a, asking the question of him. Yeah, well, I don't want to criticise Kirsten for answering it. I, I, I actually quite like the fact that Kirsten said he wants it because that I, I want somebody that's you know wants to put yeah, himself I mean, out Kirsten there. Kirsten's probably a good choice. I mean, he's got a he might have a bit. He, he, he talked yesterday about well, having an eight-game county season. He might have a bit of a shock when it's raining in July when they only get six games out of eight. But um, I'm sure it'd be a good choice. I just don't like the way it's being done at the moment with Silverwood. He deserves a little bit more respect than that. A little bit more dignity. I, I think I'd, I'd like to wish on here. I mean, I'm sure he won't watch this, but Happy New Year to Chris Silverwood because he's going through the mill. Um, he's possibly slightly out of his depth, but he won the championship with Essex. This bloke's no mug. He played for England as a cricketer. He's not an idiot. Um, and he's being talked about by some on social media as if he's an absolute complete buffoon. He's better than that. And I think people should, uh, yeah, it, it, sometimes it's right to say goodbye, but it's sometimes how you say goodbye to people that actually matters. And I think um, a lot of England fans should should be a little bit more respectful of Chris Silverwood, despite the results. Rito, your worst moment of 2021. Yeah, just like Mark, the disintegration of England down under. But if I have to pick one moment from that series, it has to be the first ball of the series. I got up at 5.20 in the morning, turned on the telly at 5.30. First yeah, but ball my heart bleeds for you guys getting up at 5. I was up at midnight 
going through the night doing this. I, I mean, I, it's awful getting to put five, isn't it? <laughs> Actually, you get paid at least for the, watching this. <laughs> we, as supporters, we are loyal to the team and we have to get up. Uh, really, really, so I, 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 do, I need to be paid to watch the rubbish I've been watching over the last few weeks. <laughs> and the first ball, Rory Burns is gone around the legs and that just just summed up all the two for me. Although they have two more test matches left in the series, just something, England gets something. That that first ball of the Nashi series, it's always hyped up, isn't it? The Harmison ball, the yeah, the early early setting the tone and what have you. And really, that first ball will become, you know, symbolic of the, the the tour that England have had, isn't it? With uh, Rory Burns' leg stump flying backwards. Neil, what about you? The worst moment for you in 2021? Uh, I, I'm I'm kind of stuck between two. If uh, I can go through those quickly, the first is England's treatment of um, their three main spinners um, over the year. I think Don Bess is clearly not ready, but has been continually brought back without getting the time to work on his game and uh, get the overs bold. Um, he's getting some time at Yorkshire now, but he's always just been a second spinner to Jack Leach. Um, Jack Leach had a pretty good tour of uh, of India and then has just been left out all summer before being thrown in on a green top in um, uh, in Brisbane, um, he was I thought he showed to the well, Neil, when he when he was given a few overs in the in the last Test match. You could see the rhythm starting to come back a little bit as that spell spell continued. You, you know, he was getting into the groove a little bit more. Yeah, you know, spinners need overs, don't they? Yeah, I mean, look, he's he's not Nathan Lyon. He's not suited to Australian conditions because he doesn't get that um, that bounce and the overspin, um, and he's not as good as Ravi Ashwin. Uh, but he's a perfectly decent spinner if he's given reasonable conditions and good fields and not just um, left out there with um, with no no run-up. Um, and, uh, and some runs to, yeah. to work. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then, well, for, for Mo, it, it's been going on for years, hasn't it? I mean, uh, what Ed Smith did in trying to get him to cancel his previously agreed uh, trip back home, especially after he'd spent the time in isolation in uh, Sri Lanka and then publicising it. Um, and while it was a misstep, it seemed entirely in keeping with the whole theme uh, when Joe said it was his choice. And I, I, I felt, Neil, that I, I was a supporter of rest and rotation for the all format players. You only have to look at the calendar to know how many days they actually spend in their own bed, how many days they actually spend with their own families and stuff like that. To think in a COVID bubble, you need to look after these guys. But if you're going to actually make the plans, you stick with the plans, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. And you can't do that off the hoof just because Don Bess and Jack Lee uh, took some tap. If, if you're going to make it about their mental health, then that comes first. You can't talk the talk without walking the walk. And I, I can fully understand why he walked away. Um, moving on to my second point, and this is partly to do with the 100. Um, with the women's game uh, being part of a double header with the men's game, then it was often a stag do um, atmosphere by the time the men's game came because the tickets were sold together and people started drinking at two in the afternoon. So my second point is pitch invasions because I reckon it was almost every single 100 game um, where people were getting naked and getting on the pitch. Um, my, my worst moment, my worst... I've just Jarvo. My, Jarvo 69. That yeah. bloke should be in prison. 
Oh, absolutely. Um, he's a complete buffoon. And the fact that he actually touched Johnny Bairstow in uh, COVID conditions. I mean, if Johnny had caught COVID off him, um, then, you know, we know what happened uh, afterwards. But And the fact that it was the third time happening and the stewards still couldn't stop him. But actually, during the 100 was worse because we talked about, um, you know, bringing uh, kids to the game, um, getting people ex- um new people excited and the ones who came uh, who came along really enjoyed the women's game had a ticket for the men's game as part of it and uh, stayed on and then to have some bellends bellend uh, flapping around in their uh, in their face i the cameras always panned away from the guy which is quite right i saw joss butler looking completely disgusted I saw Johnny it's looking angry. It's um, a real shame for Ian Bell, isn't it? That he'll never have an end named after him. <laughs> yet, yet to come. Uh, you know, we'll get a petition going at, uh, at Edgbaston. Um, but, you know, when they panned over to the crowd to stay away from uh, whichever buffoon it was on that game, and you just saw parents looking absolutely crestfallen. And I, I can't remember Kids worried. Show. I can't remember which guest it was on the podcast now, but said that he took his um, young family to Headingley and there wasn't an alcohol-free zone or a family stand or whatever the, Mm. you know, there should always be something like that at a T20 or the 100 game. Um, Because he he said, you know, the the rowdy blokes that were just a couple of yards back were really upsetting his young daughter. And that's that's not what you want. If you're going to try and introduce young kids to the game, at least make it a nice experience for them. I totally agree with you, Neil. Phil, let's finish with you then on the uh, your worst moment of 2021. Well, yeah, my worst moment, I just want to qualify because it's just something that really, really yanked my chain was the reporting of the 100, uh, telling us how much everyone was enjoying it. Uh, and how much, therefore, we should, by extension, be enjoying it. That, that was, you you pan around the crowd and say, look, oh, the crowd are really clapping. You know, it was like it's like being in North Korea, wasn't it? It, it was. It was It was Big Brother-esque um, uh, points. But what the, I mean, it would have been the Ashes, but you're bored of hearing the Ashes. I'm bored of talking about the Ashes as well. Um, but I, I think, really, the worst moment of the year, and it does have a, a silver lining to it, is the reaction of Yorkshire to the Rafiq situation, the catastrophically inept way in which they approached it, which has led to everything that's followed. But without that catalogue of errors that followed and lack of action, we now have the um, progress that we've seen. I mean, I don't think Essex's reaction that Neil spoke of earlier would have been anything like as effective if they hadn't seen how shocking it was to simply ignore and hope it would go away. So I think that that level of idiocy um, in that response, whilst it was the worst thing I've, uh, I think uh, of the year, has a silver lining in it and that other clubs now see that you can't just do that because the, re- the, the reaction of the country shows it's just not prepared to tolerate that type of, of inaction to this issue. I mean, that, that, that's why I kept on at it. Yeah, that's why I kept doing what I was doing because it was the fact that the club just didn't do anything and denied it and did did nothing about it. If the club had actually, when Nazim first sat down with them in 2017, 2018, had actually dealt with it properly, that would have been it. That you know, There would have been no need for any of this, but they didn't do. That was the biggest crime I think Yorkshire made was actually um, not actually not actually admitting that anything was wrong. And mm. um, yeah, I, th- I totally agree with that, Phil, as well. 
Jacob and I sent the badger a message and now I'm on the podcast with this jingle. If you would like to get in touch with the Cricket Badger podcast, then tweet at cricket underscore badger. Um, very quickly, gentlemen, one line. I'm going to give you one wish. You can be the fairy godmother of cricket for 2022. Um, and I know I've just lumped this on you. Um, one wish for cricket in 2022. Who wants to go first? Who can think of one quickly? Phil? Oh, a couple of openers. A couple of openers for the England team. Someone that can judge a length and someone that can actually get in line without dancing outside off stump uh, and pirouetting down before playing a round one. There's not much. Good wish. Who wants to go? Who wants to go next? Just following on from a few kind of WhatsApp messages last night, which I've been thinking about, a bit more of a global and combined effort to improve governance in different countries so we can have a little bit more stability and maybe growth and equity of wealth. Uh, otherwise, I think in five, ten years' time, we're going to have fewer play, fewer countries playing Test match cricket. So I'd like to see a... A concerted effort from you know the big players to work with other countries to improve governance and improve resources to make the game more accessible and more equitable. And I, I think what that does as well, Mark, I totally agree with that as a wish. Um, and I think you know there's a th- tendency to think, well, India and Australia and England are the richest. Why would they want to kind of dilute their pot but it actually does them good if the the rest of the world is strong and there's good matches everywhere it's actually good for cricket and it's good for those three countries too um neil rito who's going next with your wish hand up um i I want some tickets to uh the next t20 world cup in australia when uh hopefully i'm going to be out there preferably uh with india playing although uh quite frankly if, if i get to see um one of the smaller teams um uh, without meaning that in a derogatory sense, uh, I get to see uh, in Namibia or um, uh, or you know Ireland or or Scotland, then that would be absolutely um, wonderful. Um, seeing Scotland win a game after uh, so many years in global competitions um, and the heartbreak uh, with that uh, that loss to Afghanistan in 2015, it was uh, heartwarming to see them. So. Uh, yeah, I'd I'd love to see them uh, next year at the uh, at the World Cup. I must admit the T Twenty World Cup. I actually really enjoyed seeing some of those so called smaller nations um, on the bigger stage. Um, and uh, yeah, long may that continue. That we have world <laughs> events where we have um, some of the less popular or less big um, teams in in world cricket actually on the biggest stage as well. Because it's yeah, some of them will get thrashed, but some of them will have moments in the sunshine. It swings and roundabouts, isn't it? Rito, Namibia didn't embarrass themselves, did they? Absolutely not. They played really well. Absolutely superb. Rito, your your um, wish for 2022? I want England to win that World Cup, actually. after Especially after this dropping down under. Actually, win something in front of those people. Show them the class that England have got. There we go then. There's the wishes of the uh, the fan badges, uh, Mark Rito, Phil and Neil. Today and throughout the year, it's been a pleasure having you on the Cricket Badger podcast. Thank you for your efforts and your time um, and your wisdom and, uh, to, and coming on the Cricket Badger podcast. Happy New Year to each and every one of you four. Um, Happy New Year out there as well to uh, you listeners. Thank you for uh, paying the Cricket Badger podcast uh, attention and lending it your ears as we've gone through the year. Hopefully you've enjoyed the episodes that we've been uh, churning out 
um, endlessly, it seems, at some stages uh, through the various competitions and the, the interviews. Thanks to the guests as we've gone through. Thanks to the other fan badges that are not on today. Um, and uh, Happy New Year, everybody. Have a wonderful 2022, and we'll see you on the other side. Podcast Network.